0: This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God? Come what may. If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us again. Second Corinthians chapter one tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, we know that in the context of that passage about comfort, the Apostle Paul was speaking of how the Lord dealt with him during the afflictions that he experienced in Asia. But how often when we are afflicted as Christians, do we decide, hey, I think I'll turn to the book of Revelation for comfort? (laughs) Well, in fact, as my next guest points out, the last book of the Bible actually is very comforting because it shows us the higher reality of our almighty triune God in his glory and his holiness, which leads us to hope and put our hope in that triune God. We're going to dive into the topic today with the Reverend Melvin Tinker, who serves as Director of Theology for Christ Church Newland in Hull, England. He is a well-known speaker and author. And we'll be discussing his book The First and the Last The Comfort of the Triune God in Revelation Melvin, so great to welcome you back to the show How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, Janet. It's a delight to be with you again.
0: Well, it's a delight for me, too. You are dealing in this book with the Trinity and the Book of Revelation. I'll tackle that angle first. Normally, we deal with one or the other. What about this link? Because I don't often hear the concept of the Trinity put in tandem with Revelation as a topic. How how do you link these two together?
1: It, well, it's impossible, really, to read the Book of Revelation without um, seeing pretty well on every page of the Trinity. Um, it's, it's been remarked that the book of Revelation is the most developed uh, book in the Bible uh, of the Trinity uh, the Trinity is there elsewhere in, 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 uh, in the Bible in the Gospel and of Matthew for example in, in uh, the Corinthians but what we have uh, in, in the book of Revelation uh, is a very clear demonstration uh, of, of presenting uh, to God's people of the great triune God and you see that right at the at the very beginning, uh, with the grace uh, that, is, uh, that comes to the uh, seven churches, yeah. uh, grace and peace to you from Him who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ. Well, uh, the, the Jews and Christians knew that there is only one source of grace and peace, and that is God. And yet here we're told there are three sources, and yet there's one God. Well, that's because there is one God, that God who exists in this wonderful uh, fellowship of. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
0: Well, right. It's interesting, too, because verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1 begins by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. So there's the name of Christ right at the outset of Revelation. This is interesting, though, how it works out. You you know, you talk initially, Melvin, about the Church of Laodicea. You take a look at the Church of Laodicea. Mm -hmm. This is the seventh one of the seven churches that are being rebuked and or praised in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Why start with that church? Because you've pointed out the problems with that church and, and some of the parallels between what was going on in Laodicea and what's going on in our own day. Yes, I,
1: I don't think it's insignificant that the, uh, those letters end with Laodicea, because what we have here is one of the perennial problems uh, facing the church, and that is that of compromise. That one becomes so um, at one with the culture that you become indistinguishable from the culture. So instead of critiquing it and speaking into it, you're actually captured by it. And that was the case here in uh, Laodicea Uh, when um, uh, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ accused them of being lukewarm. Um, It's not as often interpreted. Uh, that there was sort of, you know, spiritual. The spiritual temperature was sort of mediocre. I'd rather be hot or cold, because surely we'd, have to, we'd rather have someone at least spiritually warm than totally spiritually cold. Uh, but when you understand the, the background to this, and it's to do with um, the water systems in the different uh, uh, towns in the Lycus Valley. Uh, we had Colossae, which had this beautiful cold cool water and that was useful and refreshing uh, and hierapolis which it was a spa town so they had this warm water mm-hmm. but laodicea had water which is piped through to it and uh, the result was by the time the water arrived at laodicea it was foul it was revolting and actually when you drank it you just wanted to vomit and that's exactly what jesus is saying look you laodicean church you have just become like the proverbial water, which your town is so well known for, you're neither good, I think colo, good water, or good water in Hierapolis. You're this yucky stuff, and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. And it seemed to me, it seemed to me that they exactly where, sadly, uh, the Western churches, Today. I mean, I was just looking at a few statistics um, of your, your, say your church, the uh, yeah. church in the United States, and some of the claims of born again evangelicals. But I read that 33% hold a pro choice stance on abortion. Yes. 26% believe in astrology. 20% believe in reincarnation. 40, only 46% attend, attend services yeah. once uh, a week. And 33% believe the Bible daily and 37% of ministers struggle with pornography, that's that's Laodicean, and that Mm -hmm.
0: is serious. It's very serious and embarrassing, and it shows how little we really reverence God and His Word, and how little we know of it, when you dig deeply into those statistics. It's interesting, Melvin, when you were making that point, I was looking at verse 17 in chapter 3 of Revelation, the message to Laodicea, and one of the things the Lord says here is, because you say, I am rich... And have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Would you say that's also a parallel to the Western Church? Now that we think we're really hot stuff, and in fact, we're not <laughs> th- at all. Like we're not seeing how we really are at all.
1: Absolutely. Um, the problem is, uh, it's, it's what's called um, modernity. The way the way in which modernity has actually infected the church. Uh, well, we talk about being in a postmodern society and so on, but the idea okay. of, of modernity is, is that we can, um, the idea is that human beings can pretty well get on with things without God. We, we have a, well, especially Americans, if I don't mind saying so, have a can-do uh, mentality. And as one social critic, Philip grice says, uh, what characterizes modernity is this idea that men and women do not need to submit to any power Higher or lower, other than their own, and so when you see that showing itself in the church, with with numbers and with uh, big uh, auditoriums and the like, um, then that can roll you into a false sense of security that hey, we're we're fine. Yes. But when, but the growth you have there is not necessarily gospel growth. You can have church growth, which actually is is a purely worldly thing. Yep. And many, I think, uh, some of the modern church growth pundits, um, as I put in the book, uh, treat the church as a business. Mm. And, and, and marketing, as, as one um, of these um, chaps said, is essential to, to operate uh, the business successfully. Yes. And there he says, the audience, not the message, is sovereign. Now, the book of Revelation, of course, smashes that to smithereens, because mm-hmm. he we're presented with a crying God who is sovereign. And if even churches are foolish to think they can do it all by themselves, well, the risen Lord Jesus is going to abuse them of that very sadly.
0: Well, that's right. You had one quote I know from a Japanese businessman. This, this quote really hit me between the eyes. He said, whenever I meet a Buddhist leader, I meet a holy man. Whenever I meet a Christian leader, I meet a manager. And I thought, you can't fault him. It's the Peter Druckerism that has just invaded the church through the church growth movement, but the church is not a business. And I think when you look at the book of Revelation, Melvin, as you point out throughout your great book, we get a completely different view. A different, higher reality is unfolded when you go through the book of Revelation. And I think people will really benefit by being able to walk through some of this great theology that you've unpacked here. Reverend Melvin Tinker with us. We're going to come back the first and the last is his book We'll return right after this On Janet Mefford Today This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe.
1: The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Zonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people and uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible.
0: If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa. On average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique.
1: We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can. You know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the Word of God.
0: Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph... In South Africa,
1: We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles.
0: You can be the answer to a Bible-less believer praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates, Bibles for Africa. You can be the answer to a Bible-less believer praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates, Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and your gift right now of any size will help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YESWORD, 800-YESWORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, when you read through the book of Revelation, it's astonishing what you discover in the pages there. It really is a hopeful book, and it's not just a hopeful book because we know what is to come, but it's because we know the God who is unveiled and described in the Book of Revelation. We know one day we will be with Him, and we see in the pages of Scripture, captured in the Book of Revelation, the Triune God. It's just a magnificent thing, and the first and the last uh, covers it. The book by Reverend Melvin Tinker, who is my guest, I got to touch back on this point point, though, Melvin, since we had to run to the break, when you quoted that Japanese businessman saying, when he meets a Buddhist leader, he meets a holy man, but when he meets a Christian leader, he meets a manager. We have to fix that, don't we? And how does Revelation tie into the fix of a mentality that the church at root is a business rather than the bride of Christ?
1: Well, you'll you'll find not even a a hint of that sort of managerial mentality uh, in the book of Revelation. That, that is um, actually, if anything, the mark of Babylon, and they put it like that, because Babylon is a metaphor of a world in rebellion against God uh, that's decided to un-God God, as it were, and to, to take his place. And uh, that shows itself, I think, in the church, when uh, you do have this sort of managerial mentality, ministers become managers rather than those who proclaim the word of God. And their primary duty is, is really to do, in fact, I think you have to tell me about at the beginning of your program, the Walter Cronkite um, thing, that's the way it is. Yes. And where to present that is the way it is in Christ. And the book of Revelation in this beautiful, magnificent, stunning way says basically to the church, both those who are complacent, it challenges the complacency. And for those who are struggling, it provides tremendous comfort. And for those who are complacent, it, 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 it's, a, it's a direct challenge to turn around, to change, to submit to the great crying God and to come before him with empty hands and to receive these wonderful blessings he wishes to give. And for those who are struggling, the message, it is, it is chronic, it's not Caesar or any other human being or governance um, that is ruling, uh, it is him. And uh, we're dear to him. And, uh, our, our, you know, he knows each one of our names. So we give we, given that, uh, that precious stone. Yeah. And, um, and, and that um, is, is just a, a, a great boost when you really do feel uh, that the world is spiraling out of control right. because what we're presented here with is this marvelous picture of this higher reality of the universe, of the heaven, and at the center of that, Universe is this heavenly throne, mm. and before it is this, this sea of glass, clear as crystal, and all is calm before Him. God isn't phased at all. He's is in total sovereign control, working out all things for the glory of His name and for the good of His people. Mm. And so, it's meant to humble us.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, when you're getting into chapter four, you have this scene in heaven and you have the throne and worship of the creator, as some of the subtitles on chapter four will say in different translations of the Bible. But this is interesting. Revelation, as you say, actually refers to God's throne nearly 40 times. And I hadn't realized I'd never taken time to count it up, but I hadn't realized it was that many references. What kind of significance do you see in the references to God's throne and how many there are throughout the book of Revelation? Why is that important? Do you think?
1: <laughs> uh, well, just the number uh, alone. Because I mean, for, for us, uh, of course, thrones don't mean that much. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you come to to England, you, you know, perhaps in America too. You, you have museums, you have thrones. And they're, they're of interest. They're antiquated. Uh, in Britain, they, they're there for ceremonial use when the Queen, for example, knights someone. Uh, Often, some sort of honor. Right. But in the ancient world, um, thrones spoke of executive power. Uh, They emanated uh, power. What came from those thrones, uh, what was said from those thrones, what was proclaimed from those thrones, actually came into being, or else. And, uh, of course, at the time, uh, the throne, uh, many people thought, uh, ruled the world, was was centered in Rome, uh, under the various Caesars and uh, and it it just seemed that that throne was invincible but uh, by referring to the heavenly throne 40 times again that's meant to dwarf these piddly little thrones hmm. that these uh, these times rule from yes. and and so again we're reminded that no things are not out of control uh, things are not uh, there, there is there is uh, this great throne at the center and it's immovable, and and everything uh, in, in chapter four, as I point out, is orientated is, is um, orientated towards the throne and its proper position in relation to that throne, and uh, and the throne is right in the centre. And so it is with our lives; that's meant to be, or that our lives are meant to be oriented towards the throne, and, and in fact the whole of the world. And it's as the gospel is proclaimed, as the kingdom advances. That is when men and women, boys and girls are brought into a saving relationship with Christ and therefore a proper relationship to that
0: throne. Well, right. It's interesting, too, because in the context of talking about the comfort of the triune God in Revelation, it reminded to be a bit of Isaiah chapter 6 where, you know, Mm -hmm. Isaiah is confronted with his sin and, oh, woe is me. And, And that's kind of the scene that you see in Revelation where you have worship around the throne, but also we are to fear God. I mean, do you see these descriptions here of God the one who is seated on the throne uh, it, it's quite jarring and and scary in a sense not that we have to be scared of God as as Christians but how do you you know put together this picture of God being in supreme power and he's completely holy and he is uh, the creator of all things and yet this is the God of all comfort at the same time
1: <laughs> well this is where we come on to chapter 5 in, in chapter 4, you have, uh, as you, you just pointed out, this uh, magnificent picture of God on the throne, although no, no, no one can see him, um, but he, he's described in, 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 in other terms. He is like so-and-so and so-and-so. And so. Yes. Um, and who can approach this throne? And that, in part, is, is one of the... Uh, and, and, of course, we, we see in the right hand of him, sits on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed the seven seals. Yes. And uh, the great cry goes out from one end of the universe to the other by this mighty angel, like a, a town crier, who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And no one can be found. And that's when John breaks down and in tears, uh, because there's no one who can be found is worthy to open or look inside. Um, but then there's one, and it's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, who has triumphed, and he's able to do it. But when he looks up, what does he see? He sees the lamb right. who has been slain. And of course, we're referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have one who is on the God's side of the throne. He's there at the center of that throne. Uh, but also, he's, he's, he's human. He's the one who is suffered and triumphed. He was a slain lamb. And so now we have a mediator. Uh, now we have someone who will be able to enact God's will in the world as a man, as, as the original plan, In, in, in especially in Psalm 8, for example. And, um, and he is the one who enables his crushed people to lift up their heads in hope to him. And he is the one who introduces his children to his heavenly Father uh, on that throne. Mm. So we need not fear that throne. It's, a, it's an awesome throne, uh, but it's also now a throne of grace because of the Lamb who, is, uh, who has been slain.
0: That's so great. It's so great. And and you know, you also think about all the paradoxes, as it were, that you could talk about in Scripture, that he's the line of the tribe of Judah, but also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As you point out, the Lamb is both sacrificial And powerful. In other words, the fact that he laid down his life for us was the act of supreme humility that he didn't have to do as the supreme Lord of glory, but he did it uh, for us to pay the price for our sin and to be raised from the dead on the third day. And yet, He is all powerful. This is such a hard thing, I think, at times for human beings to wrap their heads around. Lord, how could You be so all powerful and so scary in the one uh, in one sense, and at the same time be so accessible and so caring for people who've done nothing but sin against You? Uh,
1: that's correct. but that's the, that is the that is the the glory of the God uh, He is, and and you see the right at the beginning, don't you, uh, with the uh, formation of Israel and. Uh, at Sinai, uh, in Exodus 34, where you have the, no sooner have they received the Ten Commandments, Mm. they break the first two by creating a a golden calf and worshiping it. Uh, But then when uh, Moses intercedes and uh, asks to see the glory of God, uh, that's when the glory of God passes before him. And then he hears, Yahweh, Yahweh, the great, compassionate, God, yes. slow to anger, yeah. full of mercy, uh, and, 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 and uh, full of grace. You know, all the, 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 that's a wonderful description of the God he is. So on the one hand, they should fear him because of what, the, uh, what they have done. But on the other hand, his glory is also his grace.
0: Well, that's right. There's a reference, too, not just in chapter 4, I think there's another one in chapter 5 as well, to the seven spirits of God. And and that mm-hmm. will confuse people at times. Well, wait a minute. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three persons. Yes. What is the seven spirits of which Scripture speaks?
1: Yeah. Well, sometimes it's translated seven spirits, sometimes it's the sevenfold spirit. I'm quite happy with the latter. Uh, but um, the, the uh, one of the um, things, as you notice in the book of Revelation, is the significance of numbers mm. uh, for various reasons, and, um, and the number seven appears over and over again in, in, in different ways. And uh, seven is the, uh, is the number of, uh, of perfection, completeness. So it really is just another uh, way of speaking of the perfect uh, third person of the Trinity, the Holy
0: Spirit. Beautiful. The first and the last the name of the book, Reverend Melvin Tinker with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer Today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. When we turn to the book of Revelation, oftentimes we're comparing it to the news of the day and perhaps trying to figure out, Lord, could it be today that you'll return? We often turn to Revelation for those kinds of questions, but how often do we turn to Revelation for the comfort of the triune God? Reverend Melvin Tinker is joining us, talking about it in his book, The First and the Last. Melvin, you were discussing this, uh, actually answering a question that I had posed to you about the references to the seven spirits of God and, and referencing the significance of the number seven, this number of completeness. So now we see in Revelation there is uh, the Trinity uh, unfolded here and I think also of what it says in Revelation 2 and 3 over and over and over again about these churches that the Lord is speaking to. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why? And now of course I'm. this is a little bit conjecture here but why is the Spirit saying it to to the churches, rather than the Father or the Son. Do, do you see any significance there in, in the phrasing?
1: Well, um, I, yes. Um, I mean, what, one, one's got to be very careful we don't divide the Trinity, that's the best one. True, true. One of the, <laughs> I mean, one, one the, um, the uh, principal um, axioms in the theology is uh, regarding the Trinity is that uh, the what they call the, the external works of the Trinity are indivisible. So the work of creation is a work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. work of redemption is a work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although they um, have different roles, as it were, uh, in, in each of those things. But we're, we're quite clear that this, as you said right at the beginning, is a revelation from Jesus Christ. And when you have the... Um, The the letters, what what we find is that these are the words of Him who has the sharp double edged sword, for example, in Pergamon, and there it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And then it is, they always end with something along the lines of, uh, He who has hears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Notice his present tense saying to the churches. And so the Spirit, is, as someone is describing, is the in-between God. He's the one who actions the work of Jesus on earth, the ascended reigning Lord on earth. Um, and, um, and, and that is basically, in Revelation language, what Jesus promised back in John's Gospel. Yes. That he would send uh, another uh, uh, comforter, a paraclete. Uh, and he would glorify me. He would take what is mine and, ma- and make it known to you. And that is exactly what we see happening here with the seven churches. Yeah. And so when people, you know, sometimes people, you, you hear it, particularly with the charismatics, oh, let's hear what the Spirit is saying. Uh, as if this is, an ex- this is a, a separate thing from the Scripture. I don't think so. You you don't divide word with Spirit. Right. Um, it's it's the, the Spirit who has inspired uh, this book to be written, Uh, It was in the Spirit that John was taken up and had the Revelation. And it's the Spirit who takes this and applies it uh, to the Church. And so when people say, um, and and again, this is often used by the liberals, by the way, we must hear what the Spirit is saying to the Churches today. And what it often is, is is the Antichrist Spirit, actually, that Mm. they're listening to, not the true Spirit. Uh, But you want to know what the Spirit is saying to the Church today? Read Revelation.
0: Amen. So true. Yeah, and you mentioned the paraclete and I was thinking about John 16 where Jesus said when he comes referencing the Holy Spirit he will mm-hmm. convict the world about sin, righteousness and judgment. And that yeah. was in the context when it says he who has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. It seems those two things would be connected because the Lord is rebuking some of those churches for their sin yes. or for their cowardice or what have you or their laziness or their lukewarmness and the spirit is the one who convicts of sin. It's it's just great, you know, because I had not seen For example, some of these Trinitarian references that you brought out, for example, you talked about the fact that when Christ is revealed there in the pages of Revelation, he comes from the throne itself. He doesn't have Mm -hmm. to he doesn't have to approach it. Now, that seems very obvious. But when I read that, I thought, you know what? That's another defense of the Trinity, isn't it? To say God the Father's on the throne, but the Son proceeds from the throne as well. How could he be, you know, as the Arians would say, the first being that God ever created? Erroneously, it's not true. But that's a wonderful passage to go to to talk about the Trinity.
1: Absolutely. If, if, if you want to, and this is why, um, I mean, people think, that, as I think said right at the beginning of the program, Janet, you know, no one would think of going to the Book of Revelation, for the Trinity, or even daring to the Book of Revelation anyway. Uh, but I mean, who in the right mind will try to deal with the Trinity and the Book of Revelation? Well, I let it go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but this is the book to go to. It's the go-to book on the Trinity uh, because it is laid. I mean, it is laid before you. So I think clearly. Um, you know, Once you get a handle on the kind of language being used, the apocalyptic language, then um, this this is a book which. Lays before is in the, the, the true God in all His triumph glory, um, and uh, as you know, the main main uh, uh, concern of, of my book is to is to show that you know, the, the only way in which we're going to get genuine comfort is by having access to reality, true reality, right. not the fake reality which we're being fed by with uh, both by the media and sadly with some of the churches. Yeah. And um, this
0: is this wonderful reality, this higher reality. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, you read Revelation four and five. I mean, any chapter of Revelation, but you read Revelation four and five, for example. And then, if, if right after you read that, somebody started to talk to you about the church as a business model, think of the face you would give them. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs>
1: oh well, my goodness! Well, exactly. You think you, know, you think they're mad, really? Wouldn't you? I, mean, I would. I mean, um, yeah. From this, you know, and and. As I point out, uh, somewhere bit, uh, <laughs> but um, th- what we see happening in heaven, the church in heaven and, and that's, that's the universal church, that's the Catholic Church. Right. Catholics don't people get worried about that. it simply means, according to the whole, two Greek words together. Um, what is happening there should be, as it were, mirrored by the local church as we gather. So as we gather on earth on a Sunday, the kind of worship that is going on in heaven should be taking place on earth. So we should be having, as it were, a foretaste of this. Now, when I read those statistics of so few people going to to church on a Sunday, um, either that's telling me that they're not truly converted, or the church ain't worth going to, and you know, how are they going to cope with the real thing when they get to it?
0: Mm. Well, yeah, maybe these are the same people saying, "Will I be bored in heaven?" Those are people who have not camped out in Revelation long enough. It would seem. <laughs> 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 it's not Correct. going to be boring for sure, <laughs> you know. It, oh
1: boy! Yeah. No. Um and and that's one of the things I, I treat. I mean, I got the, more and more excited uh, towards the end, and especially at the end uh, when we're, we're looking at heaven, and of course. Uh, the, the, as you, you see in the book, the, the theologian that's influenced me most on that is, is the great Jonathan Edwards. Yes, yes. It was as if he'd been to heaven and back. Uh, not like some of the people today claim that they have been to heaven and back, of course they haven't. Right. Uh, but his understanding his de- uh, uh, of Scripture, his, his, his depth of knowledge, his love for God is such that you, 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 you read this, and uh, his idea of, of heaven being a place of love.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you just want to get there as soon as <laughs> you can. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, it gives you so much hope. And you look at chapter five with the worship and the point that you made that the same worship that they're giving to God, the Father, they're also giving to the Lamb mm-hmm. who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Again, confirming this is one God in three persons and it's just clear as day. Yes.
1: Yes. And and that's what we need to recapture in our churches today.
0: We do. It it concerns me a lot. It really does, because I know you and I have talked about this on previous shows, where what is going on in our churches seems at times to be so far from what we're reading in the pages of Scripture. And we don't want to be so, you know, I don't know, racing toward heaven, as it were, that we expect that everything that we read about around the throne of God is immediately supposed to happen here on earth. There's a sense in which we have to wait for all that God Mm -hmm. has for us to be revealed. But on the other hand, as you are mentioning in your book. It's all about the comfort that we can take from this higher reality that is a sure thing. And I'll tell you what, Melvin, in this day and age, when I see so many discouraged Christians, it really is important to focus on this. I want to pick this up on the other side of the break. Reverend Melvin Tinker, my guest, the name of the book, The First and the Last. Stay with us. We'll be right back. After taking the morning-after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseated as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a preborn center where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, May your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn centers are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms in crisis to the life growing inside of them and sharing the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Will you join Preborn in the cause for life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax-deductible. 855-402-BABY or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMufford.com um Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty Health Share with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options Options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org/jmt today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org/jmt. Libertyhealthshare.org/jmt. Welcome back. We are talking about the book of Revelation, specifically the comfort of the triune God in Revelation. The first and the last is the name of the book. Reverend Melvin Tinker joining us, talking about this wonderful subject. What are we to make of the victory of the Trinity? Melvin, when we're looking at the book of Revelation, we know the Lord wins in the end, and because of him, we win in the end, and that's comforting, maybe as a little kind of a bumper sticker way of putting it, but how do you draw the comfort that we all should feel from this truth that the Trinity will be victorious.
1: I think one of the um trying to well, when one looks at the history of the twentieth century, um in spite of all the um humanistic optimism with, with which it began, uh you ended up with two of the well, two of the bloodiest wars in history. Yes. Um and in since then uh, uh, aside day, the two world wars, um, so much carnage and genocide with um, uh, evil regimes as under Stalin, for instance, we thought Hitler, but also uh, Mao, Pol Pot, uh, and the like. And, and of course, God's people particularly have suffered, as they are suffering today uh, in North Korea uh, under, uh, and also under um, uh, Muslim uh, regimes, Islamic regimes. And when faced with that, the, the, one of the deep um, cries, I think, of the human heart is, will there ever be justice? Right. They, for, for when, when people want justice, whether they want it for themselves, but they certainly want justice in the world. They want to see that um, that good will triumph. Uh, that, 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 I think, is a, is a, is a deep-seated human... Journey, yes. and yet, if there is no God, then of course, that's just a, a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Now, what uh, the Book of Revelation, especially chapter 19, does, is to is to demonstrate very very clearly that at one point, um, the, the, well, as we saw in chapter 5, uh, the, the Lamb has triumphed mm-hmm. uh, on the cross, and uh, to redeem His people. Um, and in one sense, judgment has taken place because he took our judgment in his body forward on that cross. Right. But then there's going to be the, the consummation and the completion of that judgment when he comes again, and that's the way in which it's presented uh, there in uh, in, uh, in chapter 19 of uh, of Revelation. And um, here we have um, not the the the, the meek lamb, who uh, who went to the cross, but the the one who was at meek lamb is now coming um, uh, uh, on this white horse. Mm. Uh, he's called faithful and true, and with justice he judges and he wages war. And the picture here is is a is a, an awesome picture of of a judge whose eyes are like blazing fire. So nothing is going to be obscure from his gaze. Uh, he has many crowns, and the word for crowns there is a diadem. Uh, so it's not the readers in, uh, in, in chapter 4, for instance, but the, 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 this is the, the king of kings. And uh, he's, he's dressed in red, dri- dripped in blood. His name is the word of God. So it's no doubt w- the identity of this one is Jesus. And those who are coming with him are his people dressed in fine linen, white and clean, it says. And he sh- strikes, the, the interesting thing is that you're expecting war, but in fact, like no war. <laughs> he simply speaks, and that's it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's done. And those who come with him, as it were, simply come as, as, uh, as, uh, as observers to, to see that justice is done. And, um, and we need that so much in our world today, where there's so much injustice, and it looks like the wicked people get away with it. Ugh. This makes it clear that's not going to be the case.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. And I think uh, especially over here in the United States, I'm sure you feel the same. But I'm just thinking in the American context, merely political context, there are an awful lot of us who've been saying for a long time, how do these people get away with it? How do they get away with it? Where's the justice? Where are the investigations? Where where are the arrests? I mean, we uh, we have been crying out. And it's so comforting to say, ultimately, no one gets away with anything. Either your sins are atoned for by Jesus Christ and his shed blood or there will be judgment in the end for all of those who have not repented. And it's not, I mean, when you think about justice, sometimes uh, people will say, well, Jesus is so meek and mild and he's all about love. And, And you read what Jesus does in judging the world in righteousness and how the saints rejoice. I mean, you, you talked about the church in North Korea, for example, or I think of believers in Nigeria or parts of the Middle East who have been persecuted beyond what we can imagine, and how they're rejoicing not so much in payback, but in the righteousness of God finally coming to fruition. And I think that that's another thing that we can take comfort in.
1: Yes. Uh, the, the thing, uh, uh, again, I think I point out in the book, is that part of the problem in the West is that the no, our notion of justice has been uh, twisted, and moved far away from the biblical notion of justice, related to righteousness, as it's saying same word both in Hebrew and Greek, uh, and that is that God will do what is right. Mm. And uh, whereas we, uh, increasingly, I think, uh, justice is, is, is tends to be seen as being uh, sort of rehabilitative, rather than retributive, not saying vengeance, but there must be retribution. Yes. Uh, for those things which have been done or which are or wrong which are which have offended this great and glorious kind overwhelmingly kind God, and has inflicted so much pain and agony and suffering uh, on his creation and 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 uh, the people he he's made the 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 humans he has made and and if you were not to. To, to do this, he would be denying himself. And he can't do that because he is God. Yes.
0: It's incredible. And, you know, you think of Revelation chapter 22, and then it says, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from, again, the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life. So here we have a connection all the way back to Genesis. (laughs) We're talking about trees again. And then the final promise of the Lord at the end of the chapter, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I am coming coming quickly and sometimes Christians will feel we want you to come more quickly, Lord, but it's it's happening. This is a very, very strong and sure truth that we have here in God's holy Word Jesus said he will come back and therefore we can know for certain that he will come back. That's the most comforting thing of all, it seems.
1: Amen, absolutely. He is the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He embraces uh, the whole of history, the a, a, a universal history, but also each individual history. Uh, he is the centre of the universe. Uh, he is the one who is uh, going to be reflected. Every turn in heaven, every 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 leaf in heaven is going to to reflect his glory, and we will be able to enjoy that and delight in it. In, in, into all eternity. That's right. Uh, that is the kind of God he is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and who wants to exchange this glorious picture of God uh, for, for some sort of cheap imitation which is, is being presented, this sort of Jesus meek and mild? Uh, what is the line of Judah to? Um, and, and yes, he was humble and gentle in spirit and we're to learn from him and take his uh, yoke upon his mm-hmm. yoke upon out his yoke upon ours. Uh, but nonetheless, um, he's also this 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 great God and is worthy of, of adoration and praise and service because we're going to be serving him in absolute delight and uh, and perfection um
0: forever. That's right. Amen to that. Hmm. Amen to that. And and I love the promise in verse 14 of chapter 22, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have Mm. the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. So in addition to feeling the comfort, it's also a good reminder, be ready going back to what the Lord said earlier in the new Testament. You don't know when I'm going to come. You better be ready because I'm going to (laughs) come. And that's encouraging. And and
1: he could it, it, it comes in, in in several ways. I, I read one chapter talked about the I think five comings of, of Christ. Wow, <laughs> five, maybe more than that. But anyway, not not second coming, but you know obviously the first coming. And so on. anyway, um, but um, but uh, when going back to those uh, those letters, uh, Jesus um, w- with the complacent churches threatens to come to those churches mm. um, and to take away their candlesticks. Yes. So we're not just to simply think of Jesus coming in terms of the second coming, the Parousia, when He will wind up history and gather His people together. But we're also just be thinking of coming in this sense that if the church doesn't wake up, if the church doesn't recover its its first love, if the church continues to be worldly and simply um, reflecting the the more the mores and the, 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 the values of the surrounding
0: anti-God culture. Yeah. He'll come. Yes. He'll come uh, what, it's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that is just excellent. Reverend Melvin Tinker, we're going to have to leave it there, but the great book by him is the first and the last, The Comfort of the Triune God in Revelation. And it went so fast, but Melvin, thank you again for being here. Always a joy to talk to you.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. You're very kind. Thank you,
0: Janet. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD.